Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Oh, look at my front butt. Nope. 
learn something new every day. And it's a great film. Nope. And it is great. I can see why that was so popular on VHS with the punk and all that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It. It. I mean, it's one of those things where you're like, you, you know, we don't think about it. I mean, you know, we were, like you said, we were teenagers back when this was all evolving. But nowadays when you see a movie that comes out in a Blu-ray edition with all the special features and everything, and it has the initial reviews that say destined to become a cult classic, like, you know, back then we didn't really think about it like that because, you know, there was no such thing back then really as cult classic movies. You just, you know, you liked what you liked and, you know, you watched it. But I don't think anyone ever really saw the full potential of where we were going to be in this day and age with the home video market, you know, going from, you know, beta to VHS to DVD to Blu-ray, and now we've got all the streaming services. I don't think any of us ever realized that, that you know, when I, when I was a teenager, I just thought we were doing VHS forever, you know? Yeah, we were like, oh, this is a weird little movie. I'm the only one who knows about it. <laughs> right? Actually, funny story about that. Uh, that's how uh, I introduced all of my friends to Solo, uh, <laughs> which is not the kind of the movie that you just want to bring around to anybody, but me and my friends were kind of punk rock, degenerate kids, you know. So yeah. I, I just, uh, I, I had read about it in a uh, in a magazine. I can't remember if it was Video Watchdog or uh, Phantom of the Video Scope or whatever. But I had read about Solo, and then we got a copy of it in at my work. So I took it home and watched it. And of course, as you and I have talked about before. Uh, it ends up at, on, like, number one of the most disturbing films of all time on almost every list that you ever read. Um, so, of course, I wanted to see it. So I took it home and watched it, and then I carried that video copy around with me and showed it to all my friends. <laughs> and uh, uh, funny story about that, uh, uh, we, we watched it at my friend uh, Nate's house. His name is also Nate. We watched at his house one night, and I slept over. In the morning, his dad got up and saw the video sitting on sitting on top of the uh, VCR and was like, oh, I wonder what the kids were watching last night. <laughs> yeah. and, what the hell is this shit in my house? <laughs> so for the whole day, he walked around the house screaming, manja, manja. Yeah, but that is a funny line when you get older than when you're a kid. <laughs> I mean, right? the whole shit eating scene is bad, but when you get older, that whole line, do you have a problem? <laughs> no. It ain't shit. I'm sorry, but once you get a regular job, you understand how funny that line is. <laughs> right? <laughs> You're like, hey, that's every job I ever had in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and that was New Yorker video. They were the first one to really release art films. Right. Like that. Uh, were they the ones that did uh, uh, 
I'm trying to think. Inner Glass Cage, were they? Was that the same company? Yeah, Inner Glass Cage, a sweet movie. Uh, Man Behind the Sun. Who who released that? Yeah. That was the yeah. New York video. Yep. You know they would deal with the oddball stuff. Right. Well, and another one that we, we watched think, a lot of kids was definitely Mr. Mike's Mondo video and Elephant Parts. Yep. Uh, the only thing I have from Mr. Mike's uh, video is actually a, it's a DVD that just has the trailers for all the movies that uh, that were. Uh, were or possibly still are available uh, through through that company. I don't know if they still have any kind of. I know like something weird video has gone to a order only service. Like if you pick a movie off the something weird video website now, they just burn you a copy of it on DVD, print out the artwork, and send it to you. Yeah, they, they don't not really. Yeah, they are except for their stuff, which they're releasing through. Uh, they're releasing some stuff through AFG and uh, uh, a few other companies. Uh, Mondo Macabro just released uh, uh, The Wild World of James Mansfield and their two Mondo films they did, Echo and I forget what the other one was. Yeah, I, uh, I actually have both of those on uh, on something weird VHS. Um, I don't have my VHS collection right here in front of me, but the the one the uh, the other Mondo film you're talking about is on the same. Uh, it's a it's a two it's two movies on one VHS. Yeah, double tape, feature. But, yeah, but yeah. Anytime I see a anytime I see a something weird VHS tape in the wild, I I grab it. I love it. So. Yeah, they're they're the one that I miss their product being put out a lot. But then again, if you look at it, they put too much stuff out for them to really make any money from it. Yeah, right, right. And there and were too many since, companies that were biting their stuff. Yeah, and ever since ever since Mike died, I think you know it's kind of been a struggle for uh, his wife to kind of just keep it all together. And even though uh, Johnny Legend and Frank Henenlotter had a lot to do with that company, I think they were kind of silent partners who stood off to the side. I don't think they were ever really there with hands-on with the company, you know. Well, yeah, so. yeah. Henenlotter was because they had that giant factory which they're uh, doing a big whole warehouse, sell a lot of the stuff they found in it with all of the negatives and stuff, and they spent years going through that, trying to catalog well, yeah. it. I knew, I knew that, but I just mean, like, in you know, in the more recent years, I, I think Mike uh, kind of just took the reins, you know, Mike and Lisa kind of took the reins and just did all the day-to-day stuff, in-house stuff, you know. Yeah, after Frank went in and after Frank got cancer and bounced back right when he was filming Bad Biology, he decided to basically uh, slow down. Right, right. 
Last thing he's Wait. done that I know is the Mike Diana documentary that finally came out this year. Oh, I haven't seen that. Yeah. Yeah, you don't talk about a real life horror film. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I know the story, I just haven't seen the movie. Yeah. So. But yeah, I mean, back then we would get stuff like uh, Frank Kenilotter stuff, uh, Basket Case. Yeah. But the biggest one that uh, we got, but this one actually had a decent release. Well, I mean decent. It was in New York and L.A. I don't remember this going wide around the country, and that was uh, Stuart Gordon's Reanimator. Jesus, the amount of rentals that bad boy did got when it hit video. Yeah, uh, like I said, I worked when we were talking before the show. I worked at a video store when that came out on uh, VHS, and uh, yeah, I mean, the cover art enough was. We were talking about this too about cover art that misrepresents movies, but nope, the cover art for Reanimator pretty much lets you know what you're getting into when you look at it on VHS, and yeah, people rented it a lot. Just based on the cover art, I don't. I don't know if they only were. Only one problem with the Reanimator cover art. What's that? The only way to tell between the unrated and the rated version is the R-rated version was a light blue border, and the huh. unrated version was a dark blue border. Well, we only had the unrated version at my work, so. <laughs> yeah, and that was a dark never, blue border. Yeah, I never noticed. Nope, I, I never knew that because, like I said, we only had the unrated. But, yeah, but... And what's funny is yeah. if you did get the light blue version, the R-rated version, which I had, it was the longer version because they added all of the deleted scenes into it, which cut out <laughs> the gore but gave the movie more story. Right. Yeah, I, I've, I've noticed that that seems to be a trend even now, like we were saying before, where we never really thought that we'd be at this point in history with all the streaming services. But I've noticed that, too, on the a lot of the streaming sites, if they want to tone something down, they cut out the gore, but they add more story, which is a, I, it's a weird fix to make a movie more... I don't know if you want to say friendly, but it's a weird fix for a movie, you know? But yeah, like, I, what the hell are you doing, you idiot? <laughs> I know they're trying to make things, you know, like like I said, I don't know if I, family friendly is really the correct term, but they're trying to make it so they they can reach a wider audience. But it doesn't even make any sense. You pay a monthly fee for everything like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon yeah. and you know, Disney Plus and everything. Who gives a crap how family friendly it is? You know, if if you know you're well, you're of the last Rambo, that the only way you're going to be able to see it is on Amazon Prime. Right. So and when Cal- and when Caligula hit the VHS. The only way to tell the difference between the unrated and the rated of that is that the unrated was blue and the R-rated was green. 
Yeah, I, I, not the video store that I worked at, but there was another video store in my neighborhood, which, which is where I actually saw a lot of movies that, uh, you know, my my video store didn't get. There was another video store in my neighborhood that got a lot of uh, a lot of obscure titles, like. My video store never had a copy of a Clockwork Orange, so I had never seen Clockwork Orange, and so I rented it from there. But uh, that they had, you know, just the regular version of Clockwork Orange. But uh, there never was a regular version of Clockwork Orange. Well, for some reason, Warner's only released the un the X-rated version on VHS. But they never stated it on the box and listed the running time and the rating as the R-rated version. Right. But this this store had Caligula on VHS. I rented it, and I was like, what is everyone up in arms about? And it's what you're talking about. It, it wasn't the uncut version of Caligula. It, no, it, it was not. Because I've I've seen I've sent seen Caligula and I'm like oh there's sex in this movie. <laughs> I mean now, I've got the three disc Caligula set with the Latinto brass cut, the unrated cut, and the R-rated cut. Right. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie in years. I don't I don't own a copy of it, but I just remember watching it and thinking, I don't know what all the fuss is about. This doesn't seem that bad to me. And then years later, seeing the, you know, seeing the different cuts and being like, oh, now I get it. (laughs) The porno (laughs) cut. Oh, (laughs) yeah. So, but yeah, we were talking about Stuart Gordon. Uh, We were talking about... Beyond, but we mentioned earlier before we went on the air, we were also talking about Dagon. Uh, that's yeah, Dagon, direct- uh, reanimate all of his. Let's just say like all of his Sir Gordon uh, Lovecraft movies went straight to video. And what's fun? And this proves the badassness of From Beyond. When it hit VHS, it was the R-rated cut. Yep. And everybody in the house, I was the only one watching it, and then all of a sudden, people stopped to watch this movie. Right? <laughs> it's funny, because it it does, like, from beyond unfolds kind of like a classic, like what we think of now as the classic 80s horror movie. You know, you go to the creepy house, and then, you know, little by little, creepy things start to happen until you're at full-blown, you know. I mean, if you think about it, it follows the same method as, like, a Friday the 13th movie, you know, or yeah. Halloween, you know. It, like, it, it really, it was kind of a, I mean, it, it, not that it, it, I mean, it came about around the same era as some of those 80s films, but with the with the Lovecraft influence and the kind of, uh, you know, outer space, whatever. I, I never really understood. I, I've read so much Lovecraft, and I've seen so many movies based on his stuff. 
I don't know if it's interdimensional or outer space or ghosts or whatever, but you know, Lovecraft, Lovecraft is weird, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, from beyond really follows that same kind of structure where, you know, you go to the creepy house and then creepier and creepier things start to happen. And, you know, it kind of hits its apex at the midpoint there where, um, uh, the main female character finds the dungeon and puts on the leather outfit and, you know, starts yeah, weird now. Yeah, or he gets killed. That's when things go off the rails. You're like, what? He's the yeah, hero. Right. He's the one who's going to save us. <laughs> right? We're yeah. fucked. Well, you know that. We're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, you know, that, and I, I always, I always kind of thought that was a nod to like, uh, to like Hitchcock, you know, with Psycho, you know, that was always the thing about Psycho where they said, you know, don't tell anybody that the main character, spoiler alert for a movie that's 50 plus years old, but, uh, uh, you know, they, they say, don't tell anyone that Marion dies early in the movie. Cause you know, you think she's going to be the, the main character and then all of a sudden she's dead, you know? So yeah. uh, I think I think that was kind of the same idea there, you know, uh, because as as much as I love the Stuart Gordon uh, Lovecraft movies, they certainly don't stay. They don't adhere to to the books, the the stories that they're based on, you know, that closely. You know, they uh, Stuart Gordon and uh, uh, you know we were talking about this earlier. Uh, Stuart Gordon and Brian Yuzna they definitely took some liberties with the material they were working with, but I mean, they're great movies. I mean, you know, for a particular breed of, for a particular breed of individual like us, they're great movies. Not everyone's going to love them, but. (laughs) No, from be honest, uh, of the movies, the best straight movie I would say is from beyond. But the most faithful to Lovecraft would probably be, Dagon. Yep, I would agree with that. However, my favorite is always still going to be Reanimator. <laughs> oh, that one's just damn. I mean, just that first moment, you know you're hooked from there. He's like, you killed him! No. <laughs> I gave him life. <laughs> Boom! Knocks out, one punch knockout within the first five minutes. Just so, I guess uh, if we're talking about uh, Dagon, so we're talking about gigantic monster movies, you brought up the fact that uh, when we were talking earlier this week, you know how much I love Godzilla movies. Yeah. So, so you said uh, maybe we could talk a little bit about uh, Godzilla versus Biolante. <laughs> yeah, which was the only direct to video. Well, no, it was the first direct to video Godzilla movie in the United States. It did get a theatrical release in Japan, but it it was the first direct to video in the U.S. So, uh, yeah, and it's one of the better ones. It is, and it's it's funny to me because it got. It actually got really bad. 
you know, it got poor reviews in Japan when it was released theatrically, but then they released it over here uh, direct to video and it sold tons of copies. So I don't know. Um, I guess it, I don't know. I think here, even, you know, even, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Dushnek, uh, Independence Day director there who did the Godzilla movie. What the heck? Yeah. I don't, I can't even, I don't, I don't even, yeah, I don't even pay attention to him because his movie sucks so bad. Yeah. Um, even his Godzilla movie made money over here because, you know, people, I don't, people love Godzilla, you know, he, he's, it, it's one of those things you can just slap the name on and you're going to make you know money off of it. They should have done with the devil and they should have got rid of the New York goofy characters of Matthew Broderick and followed John Renault's freaking guys throughout the whole movie. I love right? them. They were badass. Yep. Right? So, I thought. Uh, I was actually uh, talking to my wife about this earlier today because uh, she's been she's been forced to sit through every Godzilla movie ever because I'm a huge Godzilla fan. She doesn't really yeah. pay attention. She usually read a book while I sit next to her on the couch and watch a Godzilla movie, but she's been forced to watch so many of them. But we were talking about this one earlier today, and it was kind of funny because uh, – I mentioned that you and I might talk about it tonight and she was able to not, not only just rattle off a kind of loose version of the plot, but she was like, she kind of started off jokingly being like, well, doesn't every Godzilla movie have something to do with, you know, a man tempered in God's domain and then, nuclear waste and then all of a sudden there's a new monster for Godzilla to fight or something and I was like I was like yes you've learned well young Padwan <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, and what's sad yeah. is after Balanta we missed a whole series of movies yeah yep mm. I know. I, yeah, Mechagodzilla, King Ghidorah. Yeah, there's a. I, I saw the other day that they're putting out uh, a new massive Godzilla box set, but it still doesn't have all the movies in it. So. Is like, it going to be a follow-up to the Showa set? What's that? Is it going to be a follow-up to the Showa set? Yeah, I, I I think it was uh, uh I want to say Shout Factory had some had a box set. Oh, that but would I be might... the '90s ones. Yeah, yeah. So it had a bunch of so yeah. It, I guess it would be a follow up because it would have movies that weren't in the other box set, but it's still even between the two box sets, you wouldn't get every Godzilla movie. But, yeah, well, let's I mean, be honest. The post-Showa set, pre-Biolante set movies are usually shit on over here. And, right. usually, and for some of them, for good reason. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I don't 
really care about, like we were talking about before, like I don't really care about the Dean Devlin, Godzilla. Even, I mean, I liked, I liked the new Godzilla movies okay, but I just wish there had been more Godzilla in them, you know? Like, you know? So, but I am Yeah, I've never understood that about U.S. monster cinema. They give you the cool-ass big monster, but they're going to focus on the humans. Right. I'm hoping that when they do finally release this King Kong versus Godzilla movie here in America, the new version, I'm hoping that we're going to get a lot of monster stuff, but I'm, I'm hesitant to believe it. You know, I'm but. hoping that Kong just literally beat the hell out of Godzilla, just so I can look <laughs> at a Godzilla fan and find the one that's crying and goes, "Fuck you, USA!" <laughs> the the original King Kong versus Godzilla, as goofy as it is, is actually my favorite King, uh, my favorite Godzilla movie uh, of all time. It's I. Either it's either that or Godzilla versus Megalon. Those are my two favorites, and they're both some of the goofiest in the entire series. But I do like those two a lot. So, I, if God I'm telling my you, witness, I wish someone would find the, the scenes from when uh, NBC showed Godzilla versus Megalon, and it had bumpers of a drunken John Belushi rocking down the street in a Godzilla suit going, Rah, I'm Godzilla! I'm fucking Godzilla! <laughs> Somebody out there in podcast land must have that. So if you do have it, please send it to us here at the Sesploitation Conflagration. Neither one of us can even say the friggin' name of our show. <laughs> yeah, but still, I mean, it's one of those you have to see it. Got, uh, John Belushi just messed up out of his gills, walking up and down in front of where Saturday Night Live was filmed. And Dan Aykroyd was filming it as a bumper for the movie, and he's just like, I'm Godzilla, rock, I kill you. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, if this new uh, King Kong versus Godzilla, talking about, uh, you know, my favorite uh, Godzilla films, if Jet Jaguar shows up in this, I'm going to lose my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I know we're talking about two different movies here, but uh, I loved... I loved Godzilla versus Megalon so much that I named my cat Jet Jaguar. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, we were talking about that. Um, yeah, but, I mean, we got a lot of straight-to-video Godzilla sets. The Star Maker set, that is one of the holy grails for uh, Godzilla fans because that was... Uh, the first U.S. release, even though it got pulled after three weeks, I'm not sure, that had Destroy All Monsters on it. Yep. And it turns out it was an illegal release. I'm like, uh-uh, uh-uh. Huh. Now, 
I have a copy of Destroy All Monsters, but it's probably an illegal, it's probably a bootleg copy. Yeah. Did you I pay mean, too much for it? Uh, probably like 30 bucks. Oh, so. nice. There was a legit one, but it went out of print really fucking quick. And right. you can't get it for under a hundred dollars. Yeah, I I'm pretty sure um there used to be this pawn shop right around the corner from me. Unfortunately they went out of business uh due to the coronavirus, but uh but I don't know where this guy got his movies from, but he had a crazy selection of movies like I used to tell my wife every time I went down there, I had to restrain myself from, uh, I mean, I everything on the shelf was something that I could easily see myself buying, but uh, I don't know where he was getting them all from. Uh, but yeah, he had all kinds of crazy bootleg, and, and I think he probably went to auctions out of state and, you know, just bought up lots of movies, like not – lots of movies as in even multiple but you know what I mean someone would put up a lot and say you know here's lot number 231 and he would just buy him on the off chance that there would be something in there and but he had an amazing selection of movies that are really hard to find and I used to go down there all the time and just you know grab stuff off the shelves but like I would say, every time I came back, I would tell my wife, I'm like, man, I could have spent $200 there today easy, you know. But his prices were yeah. pretty reasonable. And, yeah. There was this guy but, that used to they have this convention over in uh, Knoxville called Fanboy Fest. There's always this one guy in the corner who deals in... Uh, DVDs and Blu-rays of questionable nature. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I always scored big. The two biggest scores that you'd probably kill to get for me is a Blu-ray of the UK UK 100-minute cut of The Devils. Yep. And Kill Bill, The Whole Bloody Affair. Oh, yeah. Oh, I would definitely kill you for Kill Bill, The Whole Bloody Affair. I have, I can't even, like, uh, it drives me insane that that's never been released here in, like, a reasonable fashion. I mean, so, like, the other thing, too, is there's got to be a version. I know there's got to be, like, copyright issues out there. But there's got to be a version of Grindhouse that has the friggin' fake trailers, like like both the movies and the fake trailers. Like, where the hell does that exist? On fucking Amazon for twenty dollars, they released it about a couple of years afterwards. I've never seen it. It's I out. Mean, I've got it. I've got both of the movies, and I've got all of the trailers downloaded off the internet. Like uh, somebody, de- somebody uploaded the. Like I said, just trail- look on Amazon, look for Grindhouse Blu-ray. It's it exists. Huh. I never. It has I guess, a complete never- three-hour cut. 
Thanks. I never knew. And as a second disc with extended cuts of uh, the Don't trailer, uh, extended cuts of Werewolf Woman of the SS's trailer, uh, Thanksgiving. But it's not all. It's not all on just one disc. No, one disc is extras. One disc is the movie. Oh, but. That's what I'm saying is I want I want to see it like I saw it in the theater. I want to see Yeah, that's what I'm talking want, about. It's the movie, it's okay. a theatrical cut. So it it shows so it shows the it shows uh the first it shows Planet Terror, then it shows the trailers and then it shows uh Death Proof all in all on one disc. Yeah. All right. Well, that's what I want. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. Because uh, I have both the movies on separate discs, and then uh, I have all the trailers on my team. Yeah, I have two disc collector's edition of Rodriguez Tarantino double feature, Grindhouse. It's black with Grindhouse and red. Ow, and I just dropped it on my foot. And the inside shows the posters. With uh, Rose yep. McGowan and the machine gun leg on top of it. Yeah, I have a bunch of the posters and a bunch of the uh, a bunch of the lobby cards and stuff. <clears throat> the our our local blockbuster. When, I mean, there isn't a local blockbuster here anymore. But when blockbuster was here, anytime you rented. Uh, one of those movies from Blockbuster, they would give you a lobby card for free. So I just kept going back and renting Grindhouse over and over again so I could get the free lobby cards. <laughs> so I've got okay, a bunch of those. one, Planet Terror, intermission cards, Werewolf Woman of the SS, Don't, Thanksgiving, Bulletproof, Death Proof, Planet Terror, Audience from Action Truck, Planet Terror Commentary, Thanksgiving Commentary, uh, Disc 3, uh, crap, all the all the extras from the single uh, Planet Terror disc, all the singles from Death Proof disc, uh, all new bonus features, Rodrig- Robert Rodriguez's 10-Minute Cooking School, the makeup effects of Planet Terror, the hot rods of Planet Terror from Texas to Tennessee, the production of Death Proof, the making of the trailers with extended cut of Werewolf Woman of the SS, extended don't, the making of don't, and uh, other extras. And Hobo with a Shotgun trailer. Oh, yeah, Hobo with a Shotgun. That was uh, that was the contest, right? Um, when they yeah. were putting that movie. When they were putting the, that movie together, you could uh, you could submit uh, a fake trailer of your own. Yeah, but they only showed it in Canada only, so. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's all right. Hobo with a Shotgun eventually became a full-length movie, so. Yeah, and it, like I said, you can get it off Amazon for around fifteen to twenty bucks. Cool. I got 15 or 20 bucks. 
Yeah, but I don't know. Where, I don't know why they didn't release it to uh, with any fanfare. I was like walking through Walmart one day, and it was like the cartoon thing. Mm-hmm. Right. What the fuck? But yeah, and I looked but, and I'm like, uh, whoa, this is the movie. Like, but what about Kill Bill: The Whole Bloody Affair? Like, that hasn't been. Like legitimately released here in any form or nope, way, shape, this or form. Is a bootleg. Yeah, I've seen it and online. It plays a hell of a lot better in the three-hour cut as one yeah. whole movie than it did than it did cut in half. Yep, I bet it does. And they add the uh, Michael Jai White scene back into it. Oh, nice. So, uh, let's get back to some more uh, direct-to-video yeah. you remember that we were talking about? idiots from Dayton who put out some of the most horrid pieces of crap you had ever seen? <clears throat> yep. Blood Cult. <laughs> the Ripper. Blood? Yep. The Ripper. That's the uh, one that promoted itself starring Tom Savini, and he's only in it for like five minutes at the end of the freaking movie. Yeah, I have that. I have it on, uh, I have that on, not only on VHS, I have it on VHS, uh, big box VHS. <laughs> like, that's how old my copy of it is. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> And Beyond but, Evil, yeah. which I considered one of the worst DTV shot on video movies ever made. Right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I appreciate the uh, the effort that a lot of those guys put into making their, you know, uh, Direct to video. I mean, they knew they weren't going to get a theatrical release. They were looking for the best way to make a, you know, to make a direct to video movie. They put a lot of effort into it. I'm not going to deny that. Um, oh, horseshit. Blood cult. They didn't even use a fucking light package. <laughs> hey. <laughs> It's hard to enjoy a movie when you can't see the damn thing. Well, agree to disagree. I love Blood Cult. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a guy who goes looking for female body parts with, a, I guess, a meat cleaver. I don't know. It's too dark. I can't see what's going on, but... <laughs> You know, it's a lot of these DTV were like Herschel Gordon Lewis ripoffs. Yeah, I but mean, at the least SOB Herschel ones were like Herschel Gordon Lewis ripoffs and stuff. But at least Herschel Gordon Lewis knew how to light a scene. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you want to talk about sleazy movies that went right to video uh, but are 
better done, but a little more disturbing. We were talking yesterday or the day before about Bride of Frank. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. (laughs) That is one of those movies you have to see to disbelieve. It's about a crazy old bum who lives in a warehouse who does deliveries, who the only thing he cares about in this world is big old titties. (laughs) <laughs> yep <laughs> And it's probably the most literal motherfucker in the whole world Right that like, movie... if you, like if he tells you You better shut up or I'll rip your head off and shit down your throat <laughs> He literally rips the dude's head off <laughs> And shits down his throat it kind of reminds me, it it almost seems like it's a spiritual sequel to uh, uh, The Baby, right? Yeah. You know the movie I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because that movie is, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, the... The original, maybe it's just called Baby, but you know the movie I'm talking about, where the, the family where has to be a man until he thinks he's a baby. Yeah, that's the baby. Yeah, the baby. Yeah, right. It I want to make you feel dirty. I mean, literally, I'll just make you feel dirty. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and it kind of makes me seem like in that movie, Bride of Frank, like he might be the baby from the 1973, the baby. <laughs> like, yeah. kind of like he, it seems like that could have been who he grew up. Well, I shouldn't say grew up to be because he was already grown up in the baby, but you know yeah. what I mean? It, but. Bride of Frank has that same kind of I feel like I need to take a shower after I watch this movie kind of feel to it, you know? Yeah. It came out on DVD, but it's out of print now, and I and I don't know how much it's going for nowadays. Uh, Bride of Frank or The Baby? Bride of Frank. Oh, because I was going to say, I, I know The Baby, baby came out on. Blu-ray, I think about four or five months ago. Yeah, the baby came out on Blu-ray a little while ago. Yep. But I didn't buy a copy of it because I already had it on DVD but or VHS. I don't even know. I have it somewhere. Yeah. Like I said, I just moved, and all of my stuff is either in boxes or in storage, so I can't even really uh, – <laughs> yeah. my, my, my wife gets so irritated with me whenever we go out somewhere because I – start grabbing movies off the shelf and she's like, do you already have that? And I'm like, I don't know. All my stuff's in boxes and in storage. And she's like, well, then maybe you shouldn't buy it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it's funny. It's like, yeah, uh, Charles Band was big on VHS. And then we had this little company that had a big hit with the Toxic Avenger, Trauma. Trauma put out a lot of shit straight to 
VHS in the 80s and early 90s. Yep. I've I got to tell you, honestly, as much as I love, like, lowbrow, sleaze cinema, I've never been a huge fan of trauma. There are some trauma movies that I do enjoy, some trauma movies that I own, but generally they're movies that trauma bought and distributed. Yeah, they're the best. Not not in-house movies. They're not, you know, the... So the in-house movies usually don't do much for me, but, yeah, uh, but of course, you know, like, I do like, uh, they were the, they were the ones who released the best version so far of blood sucking freaks. So I, 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 I owe them that. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, I do like Tromeo and Juliet. Um, that, that wasn't, that, that was good, uh, in my, in my eyes. And we do have to give him credit for, even though he's not the greatest director in the world, they did give us Eli Roth. I mean, you know, they at least passed him over to us and let him, you know, so, and, you know, um, well, the, the yeah. three best, in my opinion, are, well, you already said one, uh, Blood Sucky 3, uh, Diary of a Junkie. God, that one's good. Yeah. Oh, wait, did did they, uh, did they, oh, I think uh, Troma released a version of American Nightmare, too, right? Is it? Yeah, they released American Nightmares, a.k.a. Combat Shot. Yeah, Combat Shot. That may shot. be the yeah. rough. People talk about, oh, blood-sucking freaks, rough, blood-sucking freaks, rough. No, 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 no. You're not going to get rougher when it comes to trauma than the one and only Combat Shot, a.k.a. American Nightmares. Yeah, yeah, I I do have the trauma version of that, Uh kicking around somewhere. Again, all my stuff is in storage, but yeah. uh, you look up around on... week and there's American Nightmares just standing there waving at you. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, the only the only thing I have about that movie that annoys me is I do not like the soundtrack. I, you know, you're right. The movie is disturbing. I mean, uh, what it it has it has a scene in it where the guy pours heroin right into an open wound because he doesn't have a syringe like that. Yeah. And then, of course, you can see, uh, you know, uh, the influence that Eraserhead had on that movie, obviously with the the baby that never stops crying and yeah. Uh, again. Spoiler alert for a 50-year-old movie or 30-year-old movie, but at the end when he kills his wife and then sticks the baby in the oven, like, yeah, that movie is effed up. No doubt about it. (laughs) But, again, not produced in-house at Troma, but purchased. But if you have seen Combat Shock or American Nightmares and you loved it, 
Check out Buddy Giovizzano's follow-up, Life is Hot in Cracktown. I've never seen that one. Did was did he make it shortly after Combat Shock or did he No, it came it, out around 2000, 2000 it came out around 2005, 2006. Huh. Nope, never never saw it. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. He hasn't mellowed out a bit. Nope. <laughs> Well, what did you say the title of it was? Life is Crack Hot Town. in Cracktown. Life is Hard in Cracktown? Yeah. Hot. Well, life is hot in Cracktown. Yeah. yeah. It's set, well, uh, it's set in a series of short stories in this building called Cracktown because it's basically nothing but crackheads and crack dealers in it. Right. Is that the only other movie that he's ever made aside from Combat Shark? Uh, yeah, there's a short film that he did for a movie, but I forget what it's called. I think the Theater Macabre. Right. Hmm. Yeah, it was yeah, until working. the 90s. Oh, one of the greatest uh, DTV movies is finally coming out from... Uh, Vinegar Syndrome in uh, September. Yeah, what what is it? Amos Poe's Alphabet City. Oh, yeah. Yep. Now, I've always wondered if that movie is is based on is it, that I don't think that movie's based on the novel of the same name. No. I don't I don't believe so. I think it's just a coincidence that because Alphabet City was uh you know, was a popular term for that neighborhood. So I think there's yeah. a novel I think there's a novel about Alphabet City. I I never thought that that movie was based on the novel, but uh I've never read the novel it's so based on uh Characters that Poe knew when he was growing up around, growing up in that area. Right. But yeah, it wasn't until the 90s that we started seeing unique stuff on the DTV line. That's when companies started putting out their own labels, the big labels. But for us in the underground, there was. The word that started bubbling up is like, you got to see this movie. What happens? This guy steals a corpse and he screws it with his girlfriend. What? <laughs> yeah, it's this fucked up German film. <laughs> it's necromantic. Ne- George Bugret. Good Lord. Necromantic. Yeah, necromantic. Uh, King, Shram. I'm... I'm- with him on Facebook, but half the time he posts in German, so I don't really know what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, he's gone on to, uh, I, excuse me, I guess he's gone on to doing more stage, uh, productions now than making films. Yeah. But, yeah. Necromantic is another one of those movies where you're just like, you got to see it to believe it. 
like, <laughs> if, if you really wanted a unique area, era for us. Yeah. That was another one of those movies that, like I said, uh, like Solo, I had read about it in a bunch of fanzines and, you know, obviously, like, you know, we never really mentioned this, but going back, it should be obvious, going back to the direct-to-video era, like, this was before the internet. Like, anytime you found out about something, it was, like you just said, other other movie nerds coming up to you and just being like, oh, film you threat. gotta check out the, you know, yeah, film threat, yep, for sure. Um, Psychotronic. Well, that era was a film threat, a Psychotronic, a video watchdog. Yep. You just read about these movies and then hunt them down. And that same video store I was talking about earlier that was in my neighborhood, not the one that I worked at, but, uh, yeah, that's where I first found a copy of Necromantic. And uh, I actually, um, I, I, I watched Necromantic, and I wanted to keep it so bad that uh, I peeled the label off uh, I peeled the label off of another movie that I had in my house uh, and and glued it onto a blank tape and stole their copy of Necromantic and kept it for myself and I took the blank tape back with the Necromantic stickers glued to it and I was like I tried to watch this and it doesn't seem to work <laughs> so the guy popped it into the VCR that they had right there at the desk and it was just a blank tape and he was like oh I'm sorry man I'll give you your $2.50 back and I was like no no problem I'll, I'll, I'll just I'll just grab another movie the next time I'm here and here we are 30 40 years later and I stole their copy of Necromantic <laughs> and the guy's listening and he's going like son of a bitch and he's probably going to try to track it down now yeah, he's living right now. Yeah, well, the joke's on him. I don't live in that town anymore. <laughs> yeah, and another yeah. big one that came out of the early 90s was, of course, Tetsuo the Iron Man. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep, I have a copy of that, too. That uh, That movie is friggin', I don't know. You, I don't even know where to begin to describe it to anybody. Whenever I it tell someone that rust the, a movie, yeah, there's no way to describe it to people. If you haven't seen it, then and you have a strong stomach, then go ahead and watch it. But <laughs> there's no way to describe it to people. It's the, it's one of the most bizarre movies, uh, and I. It's it's kind of ironic because, you know, it's not like there's full-on, like, blood and guts and carnage, but the scenes that do have the blood and guts and carnage are even more intense because the whole movie's in black and white. I mean, that's just the way it feels to me, you know? Like, watching the scene, particularly where the guy first, starts to become quote unquote the Iron Man where he has to insert the metal 
uh, rod into his leg. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Even though it's in black and white, just the, the uh, I don't know. Ugh, just thinking about Mommy, it. Mommy, what's a metal fetishist? What? <laughs> right. So, but that I mean, that movie came about in an era where a lot of the Japanese films were uh, about, um, you know, like you said, metal fetishes, but there was, there was this whole Category era three. of Japanese. Yeah, like, there was a whole era of Japanese films where it was all about hybrid, like, okay, so I'm now I'm half man, half metal, or uh, there were lots of movies about, like, uh, you know, it was, like, so the movies that were geared towards, like, rubber fetishists, but it wasn't just about putting on a rubber suit. It was, like, becoming a rubber man. Like, you put the rubber suit on, and you can never take it off. Now you're just, like, you know, you're like a rubber robot now or something, you know? Like, yeah. And and I'm sure that's from the same, uh, you know, we've always heard that uh, that uh, Japanese, you know, you've seen enough of the of that old vintage Japanese porn where they like blur out the genitals and stuff. So yeah, you know, as as permissive as the Japanese have always been about like weird stuff like tentacle porn and stuff like that. They've they've always been really gun shy about penetration and stuff, you know. So I think that's that's kind of the same era that a lot of those movies were born out of. Is you know, okay, you've got this weird fetish, and we're going to indulge it to the utmost, but you know, you're still not going to see any actual sex. It's just going to. I mean, there is a sex scene in Tetsuo the Iron Man, but again. You don't see the actual sex. You just see weird, I don't know, metal people smashing their bits together. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and yeah, same thing. Again, I wish I had my, uh, I wish I had my stuff here with me because I do, I have a whole book uh, about it, um, about some of those that it does have Tetsuo in it, but it talks about a lot of those other movies, I mean, uh, like I was just saying, I can't even, I can't think of any of the names off the top of my head, but you know, I could just randomly make one electric up and it's probably... Dag- electric Dragon 6,000 volts. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you could just make any one up off the top of your head and it's probably a Japanese movie from the 80s that plays into someone's fetish, you know. But And what happened? How did we get a hold of these weird ass shit in the nineties? Well there was this little phenomenon in the back of these magazines like Film Threat, uh Asian Trash Cinema, Deep Red, Fangoria in the classified ads. You would see these ads that would say Sin to self death stamped envelope for a list of titles that
that we were selling. Yeah, and that, that was my would be that was... our beloved gray market. Do you remember who the first two really big gray market companies were? No, I was just trying to think off the top of my head because I remember exactly. I remember ordering out of the back of uh, Fangoria, um, yeah. and and getting one of those uh, envelopes in the mail. Uh, who the heck was it? Uh, Cinema Wasteland. Yes, the guys that run that con were bootleggers, gray marketers. Right. And then there's a favorite. Something weird. Yeah. When they started out, yeah. they specialized into sexploitation, drive-in, uh, bump and grind, moody cuties. There was another one I was trying to think of, though. I can't remember. Like, they, just like Cinema Wasteland, they... Eventually legitimized. Killer. Who? Chiller Theater. Yes, Chiller Theater is one of them, but that's still not the one I was trying Video to think of. Miami. Uh, yep. Yeah. Huh. Midnight Video. Yep. Nope. You know, Search in Miami never... was bullshit one. You would pay $50 for the opportunity to buy the bootlegs that they ripped off from other companies. <laughs> right. And now someone from there is listening to the podcast, and they're hunting you down. <laughs> eh, who cares? They would admit they're thieves. They're like, yeah, but we make better quality, and we use better quality tapes. Yeah. <laughs> uh the guy who ran Cinema Wasteland, he would always include a weird little watermark on his tapes where he could tell if someone was stealing his shit. Huh. And he I would always get... What? I was going to say, I don't think I ever ordered anything from them. But, yeah, we would get the most amazing stuff in there. We would get titles we'd only heard of. Yeah, those, like, that was, <clears throat> that that was so cool back then when, I mean, I know it's it's gone, you know, it's superfluous now with the Internet. Every website, you know, every film company has the websites and, so many of these movies are public domain now or multiple companies own the rights to YouTube. them that yeah and you can watch a lot of it on YouTube and I mean even something weird video has their own uh website now where you can buy a subscription and just stream every movie that they have you know so yeah. I don't know not as much fun I mean, the internet is convenient, but it's not as much fun. I know that makes me sound old, but Christ, I'm almost 50, so I'm old. Leave me alone. Yeah. Get the thrill of the hunt. <laughs> like actually a finding a copy of a Black Devil Doll from Hell or uh, 
that, that, that. Tell some the quad dead zone in a real video store. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, I like I said, I worked at a video store like all through high school and halfway through college I worked at a video store and um I don't even know where the video collection initially came from because there were movies there like I mean, there was a whole section of big box videos that had like Octoman and uh, Miss 45 and stuff, like all these big box videos, uh, you know, but, and then we had like all these other, just, you know, you're like a lot of typical movies, but then there were also all these random flicks that I wish I had known more back then that I know now because I would have. I would have taken a lot more of those movies home with me, but we really only had one wall at the front of the store where we put the new releases, but you know, my boss did all of his purchasing based on what was new at the time, you know, okay, well, we're going to buy 30 copies of Forrest Gump because everyone's going to want to see Forrest Gump, you know? So, but the whole back half of the store had, and that's when things would start to get interesting, and you would get the video stores that would either dump their older titles and sales at the front of the store or dump them off in the pawn shops, and the pawn shops would take them and just sell them for pennies, and you would just go in there and score some weird shit. Yep, well, I'll tell you another, uh, another. I'll admit to another crime, uh, uh, you know, after admitting that I stole my copy of Necromantic. Uh, yeah, whenever, uh, when I did get a little bit older and started to get more interested in obscure movies, uh, every once in a while, my boss would say, okay, um, I need you to, so all of the movies in the video store were numbered, Uh, starting with number one, going all the way up to, you know, 10,000, whatever the newest movie we had. So uh, every year my boss would say, all right, go back and just take all the oldest movies off the shelf and put them on a table out front and sell them. And I would go back, take the oldest movies, and the ones that I wanted I would just take home with me. (laughs) Be like, yep. Uh, I wouldn't call it stealing. Uh, yeah. He probably just wouldn't give a shit. Yeah, no, he never gave a shit. He didn't care. There were times that that the guy who owned that video store, like uh, his son, used to come in all the time, and we had a cooler section uh, over on the back side of the store where we sold beer and soda and. His son, who was not anywhere close to 21, would come in all the time and just grab like a 30-pack of beer and walk out. Sometimes his dad would come in the store right when he was walking out with a 30-pack and his dad wouldn't even say anything. So, yeah, I don't think he was like the most upright citizen. I don't think he really gave a shit. So I probably could have walked out with an armload of VHS tapes on a Saturday night and he probably wouldn't have cared. Yeah. And, of course, straight to video, 1991, two films that really changed up the whole action genre, period. But they were straight to video. 
And that would be John Woo's The Killer in Hard Boiled. Oh, yeah. Those are my two favorite John Woo movies, no doubt about it. And the thing, they were direct to video. They didn't even give them much of a... They didn't even give them a shot in U.S. theater. It's too bad because the... I mean... I do like some of the movies that John Woo released in American theaters. Like, I do like Face Off. I I won't even say I, I won't even say that I disliked Hard Target. The only thing I disliked about Hard Target was Van Damme's mullet. But you know, but uh, Will Brimley kicking ass with a bow and arrow. Enough said. That's all you need to know. <laughs> Right, but yeah, yeah um, but no. Uh, after that, I mean, his movies went downhill. I think Hard Target and uh, Face Off were pretty good, but then what was the next one he did with friggin' Travolta and uh, Christian Slater? I no, can't it even was remember. Broken Arrow. It was Hard. Tar- it was Broken Arrow. Hard Target. Uh, Face Off. Yeah. Wind Waker. Yeah. Wind Wake. Yeah, Wind Talkers. Yeah, right. Nope, didn't like Wind Talkers. Didn't like Broken Arrow. Hard Target was was a fun movie, and I do like Face Off quite a bit. I know people now looking back on it, people kind of make fun of it as being a cheesy fun. movie, but I I thought it was good. I still enjoy it. Face Off, that was great. And that was one of those movies. The movies, there's that scene. It was me and my cousin. We went because he because we was going to see that and uh, Con Air. And uh, my cousin looked at me and said, "It was that scene where he goes, Richard, uh, that that Nicholas Cage goes. I could just eat you. I could eat a peach all night long." (laughs) Then my cousin looked over me. You mean that's what that meant? <laughs> <laughs> I had you to keep from laughing in the theater. I'm like, no, nah. I'm like, of course, man, that's what it meant. You guys are from the South. How does he not know what that means? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, man. I live in Maine and I know what that means. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when a hard target and then hit, and then we started getting all the Hong Kong films. Jesus. Yeah, I know. But, yeah, like, you're right, though. Uh, Those, again, those were some random movies that came direct to video when I worked at the video store, and I had heard of John Woo, but I had never seen any of his movies because, you know, like you and I were talking about, You'd read the magazines when we were, you know, when we were younger. You'd read the magazines, and they'd all be talking about John Woo and how great he was. And uh, so, yeah, uh, yeah, Hard Target. Uh, that was that was amazing to me. Um, a better and, tomorrow. A better tomorrow too. Yep, I didn't I didn't like those ones as much. Um, I did like them, but yeah, 
I don't know, uh, Hard Target, and what was the other one that you mentioned before? Uh, I can't remember now, but... Oh, uh, The Killer uh, and... Uh, yeah, yeah. Hard Boiled. Hard Boiled, yep. Yeah, The Killer and Hard Boiled. If you haven't boiled. seen Hard Boiled, you need to. The last 45 minutes is just one gigantic action scene. <laughs> yeah. Right. And there's doves. There's doves everywhere. <laughs> that's that's the one thing that I always uh laugh about whenever I watch uh those old uh John Woo movies. I'm always like uh I always tell people I'm like, "Well, you know, just so you know, there's going to be Lots of stylized violence, but there's also going to be a lot of doves flying around. So just just be aware, you know. Yeah, that was his thing. He loved those doves. Yep. He always he had the doves flying. He got to be a joke flying. by the time he did it in Face Off. Right. Doesn't in Face Off doesn't uh, John Travolta actually hold the dove in his hand and then let it go, let it fly yeah. away? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that was definitely John Woo kind of goofing on himself. But yeah, that's what but, we learned. Who? Uh, let's see, Jackie Chan was uh, the girl from Michelle Yeoh from Wing Chun. Yep. Right. If you're well, an action film John, and you wasn't buying stuff off the gray market in the early '90s, you wasn't an action film, or else you were starving to death with the kind of. Eh, American action that we were getting in the theaters. Right. Now, now video, we got like... Don the Dragon Wilson. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, uh, oh, uh, what was her name? There was, Cynthia Rock uh, Rock. Yeah, Cynthia Rock Rock. I, I just, watched an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000 the other day that had one of her movies on it. Yeah. Yeah, Rock, I mean, just all sorts of great DT direct-to-video action that was better than the crap we were getting in the theaters. Right. Now, as far as Jackie Chan is, uh, was... Was Rumble? Did Rumble in the Bronx ever get a theatrical release here in America? Yeah, that was the first one. That was his first really big theatrical hit over here. If yeah. you don't count Enter the Dragon. Well, yeah, right. Yeah, I, I, o- I only saw Rumble in the Bronx because, again, it was another one of those random movies that popped up at my video store, and I watched it. That's the only way I ever saw it. But again. Like the area that I the area that I lived in at the time was what well, it's 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 the second biggest city in Maine. But back when I was growing up there, there was no culture to speak of really. Now that I don't live there, I live in another city in Maine. But the city that I lived in back then, when I was going to college. There was nothing going on. Now they've got all kinds of cool movie theaters and, you know, stores and stuff that were never there when I was growing up. When I grew up there, there was nothing. But 
it's it's cool now. They have, you know, I mean, well, obviously, probably not right now because yeah. the coronavirus is keeping everybody at home. But, but yeah, um, so, yeah, a movie like Rumble in the Bronx would have never shown at a movie theater up there when I was growing up. But, I mean, if it came out nowadays, it probably would. There's a lot of yeah, options Yeah, that was for the movies. first big hit. Then Miramax bought, uh, let's see, uh, Operation Condor, Operation Con. Let's see, Armor of the God, Armor of the Gods 2, Operation Condor, uh, Who Am I, uh, Project A, Project A2, which if you haven't seen those, those are two of his best, Project A1 and 2. Right, yep. Uh, Super nope. Cop, a.k.a. Uh, Police Story 3. Yep. And then uh, I think what well, so then he ap- it wasn't too long after that that he kind of crossed over into just doing American movies like with Chris Rock or <laughs> who was yeah, it? That he uh, Chris Tucker. There was uh, Chris Tucker. Yeah. There was the Shanghai Nights. That one, Shanghai Nights and London Nights, the two right. uh, Western ripoffs he did and. Uh, the three Rush Hour movies, which I'm never proud to say. I watched the first one and the second, third. I'm like, I don't think so. Yeah, I I never watched any of those. I uh, I the the only time I've ever really enjoyed Chris Tucker is in the first Friday movie. So <laughs> I never yeah, really. Yeah, that one was good. Yeah, the first Friday was funny, but the rest of I never watched any of the rest of them. I was just kind of like, yeah, that's all I needed to know. That was funny, but don't need to. It's like so many movies that just don't don't really need a sequel. Like, if there was a Goodfellas 2, I would not watch it. I don't need another Goodfellas. I got everything I needed from the first Goodfellas. You, you nailed it. Let's just leave it alone now, you know? Yeah, nowadays they make a sequel out of everything if they can. Like, they want to make a Joker, too, and I'm like, no! Yep, no reason for another Joker. We got that. That was good. It was good movie. We don't need another Joker. But, you know, the funny thing is, we're talking about these movies, uh, but nowadays, uh, a lot of movies that are successful in the theater do get direct-to-video sequels. That's especially true oh, with Disney. Do you remember the bullshit, fran- bullshit franchise carries of the 90s? No. Well, they took films I mean, like uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Remember, that was a hit. Right. So they did the second one, and then they did the third one with the direct TV. Then it is Silent Deadly Night 4, which was Ritual by Brian Usdell, which had fuck all to do with Silent Night, Deadly Night. Right. That will, then it is Silent Night, good. Deadly Night 5, The Toy Master, which is the one with Andy Rooney, which is kind of creepy, but it had fuck all to do with a slasher film. <laughs> well, that, that's another thing that we haven't really touched on is, uh, yeah, like, 
a lot of movies that just get renamed to go along with a franchise that's already established. I mean, uh, technically, isn't that isn't that what happened with the Exorcist series? They they did the Exorcist, and then they did the Exorcist two, but the Exorcist three wasn't really supposed to be. It was it two or three that wasn't supposed to be an Exorcist movie, but they just uh, slapped an exorcism in there to make it an exorcist movie. Ah, I think no, it was no, part- no, 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 no. The way Blatty was ha- had it was the exorcist was the epicenter of the explosion, you know, the center. And the yep. farther away you were from the explosion character-wise, the least you were really affected by it. Like, uh, Private Cutshaw in the ninth configuration. He was the astronaut who Reagan said that he was going to die up there. And that was the cause of his psychotic breakdown, which was dealt with in the ninth configuration. Right. And three is Kinderman, who was closer to it. But... That's why it's more of a direct sequel to it, because he was closer to the center of the explosion than Cutshaw was. That's what Blatty wanted to do. He wanted to do more of a cause, you know. The first film was a cause, and he wanted to show the effects of it on the people that were there. Because... Because the third one was the one that Blatty actually directed, right? He directed the Nice Configuration, too. Really? Huh. Have you ever seen the Nice Configuration? Yeah, I have. Yeah. I didn't realize... I, I haven't watched it in a long time. I didn't realize he directed that. I thought he directed the third one. No, he directed that one, too. As a matter of fact, he was a psychiatrist who kept stealing the, uh, what's his name's pants all through the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Blatty. Uh, <laughs> he was the original Jim from The Office, right? Just a constant prankster. Oh, your pants keep disappearing. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, what I mean, bullshit, I'm talking like zombie. There was Zombie 1, which was Dawn yeah, of the Dead. Well, yep. And then, yeah, and then Zombie, the Lucio Fulci version was supposed to be kind of a pseudo-sequel. It wasn't uh, a franchise uh, you know, it wasn't authorized, but when Fulci made uh, Zombie, he kind of envisioned it as a sequel to Dawn of the Dead. Well, the producers did because the, the copyright law was so legal, was so iffy over there, that you could put Zombie 2 on it. That's when we got films like Terminator 2, Alien 2, and things like that. Yeah. Then we got Zombie yep. 3, which is a direct sequel to Fulci Zombie. Well, it was a follow-up. It was a Zombie 3 directed by Fulci. And then we had Zombie 4, which was After Death. 
And then Zombie 5, which was Killing Birds. <laughs> uh, it's funny. Like, and it's like we were just talking about, like, none of those movies really have anything to do with each other. It's like the whole, I mean, shifting back to America, it's like how um, after Night of the Living Dead, we got Return of the Living Dead, which, although it did involve some of the same people from the original Night of the Living Dead, was not a, a sanctioned sequel to the Night of the Living Dead. So, you disagree? No, it's a fact. It is a legit sequel to Dawn of the Night of the Living Dead. You see, when Laurel broke up, George Romero got Night, Day, Dawn. Uh, Rudy Ricci and John Russo... And Russell Steiner got Living Dead. So they so just they tried got... to damn this throughout the years to do a follow-up, which I've got the original book of their script, and there's no way that piece of shit was ever gotten made. It's bad. And then <laughs> they hired Dan O'Bannon to write it after he did Alien. He said, okay, I'll write it. I'll direct it, but only if I get to rewrite the script. Because right. if you remember, even Romero's mentioned in that movie, Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, they they talk about Night of the Living Dead. Have you yeah. ever seen that movie, Night of the Living Dead? They talk yeah. about it in the movie. Yeah. It, yeah, it is a legit, it is a direct follow-up to Night of the Living Dead. I love it. It Aside from Dawn of the Dead, it's my favorite movie from that same creative team. I just never, yeah. I just, I always thought that those guys all had a falling out and, you know, one went they one did. way, the, the other one the other way, you know, you know. And everyone knows the story that George Romero uh, fussed up on the copyright, and that's why you can buy Night of the Living Dead from 450 different DVD Blu-ray companies because no one Not anymore. really they owned finally it. got the copyright back when they got the new version by Criterion that came out. Because they totally remastered it and redid the sound, they were able to re-get, reclaim the copyright. So Romero's family, now that he's passed away, or... Uh, yeah, Romero's Frank family, Kieran. the rest of the guy from Laurel. Nice. Well, that's good news. And another little so, secret Night of the Living Dead that most people don't know and don't claim is Flesh Eater. <laughs> flesh Eater? Yeah, it's a movie with uh, with the first zombie from Night of the Living Dead. Never heard of it. Be thankful. I'll send you the trailer. It's <laughs> bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I can, yeah. 
I just Googled it while we were talking. I can see, yeah. So it's got Bill Heinzman, who does play the original, the first zombie in Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. Yeah. This movie came out in 1988. So. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it was directed, you know, so it counts. Yeah, right? It looks, uh, I'm just looking at the still photos on IMDb, and it looks terrible. (laughs) Oh, it is. It was made for like five cents, and you could tell it. Oh, not only does Bill Hinsman star as the original zombie that he played in Night of the Living Dead, he also wrote it and directed it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But that Uh, is another one. I mean, it's weird how many... They tried to make franchises out of nothing. The king of them with nine titles is Hellraiser. Yeah. Oh, man. Don't get me started on Hellraiser, man. I... <laughs> After the third one, they basically took old scripts they had lying around that they thought were pretty good, slapped Pinhead in it, and there's your fucking movie. Yep. I I don't even... I mean, I'll watch, Hel- I'll watch the first Hellraiser and the second Hellraiser. After that, I I probably never would have watched another one, but... My friend Sean and I, when we were first hanging out, when we were in college, like Hellraiser was one of our things, you know, we kind of bonded over that, the first couple of Hellraiser movies, and then, like, he still kind of hung on to it after Hellraiser 3. I I gave up. I was like, Hellraiser 3, I was like, this is a piece of crap, I don't ever want to see another Hellraiser movie but I didn't think I'd live long enough to see nine Hellraiser movies. He keeps watching them, so I keep watching them, so he and I can talk about them, and, but yeah. they, they're just horrible. They're exactly right. They just keep slapping Pinhead into movies that were originally intended to be some other kind of horror movie, and they slap Pinhead in there. and He's uh, like... Homer Simpson in that one scene in the early funny years of uh, The Simpsons where uh, Lisa launches his pig like a cannon. <laughs> right? It's still good. It's still good. <laughs> um, now, uh, uh, the last couple of Hellraiser movies didn't even have Doug Bradley as Pinhead, did they? The last one didn't. That's the one where, where if you look at the cover, it looks like Pinhead's taking a shit. Right. <laughs> he just got that big yeah. strain. I'm like, damn, Pinhead's constipated. I mean, it's not like this is the first time we've seen a franchise do something like that. Like, obviously several different actors played Jason over the years in the Friday the 13th series, but I mean, most of the time it works because he's always got the mask on. I do think there are, there are a couple of Friday the 13th movies where just the body type is different enough that I can't really buy it, you know, like, but yeah, 
you know, once Kane Hodder took over and started playing Jason, it was like at least consistent from then on out. Asthmatic Jason. You know, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like they tried too hard to make, you know, it's like, uh, let's see, no retreat, no surrenders. We got five of those. Right. Uh, Bloodsport. Down the Dragon Wilson, we got six of those. We didn't need more than one. <laughs> no, I don't know. There were some good ones. The third Bloodsport is the best of the series, but that's because it's got uh, Richard Roundtree and a couple of other good guys in it. Right. Sort of like Stone Cold or Brian Bosworth. He sucks in it. But Lance Henriksen and William Forsythe is just like a force of God in that movie. Right. Yeah, as my daddy once told me, as I can remember the last thing my dad told me before he died, no, son, don't point it at me, it's loaded. <laughs> well, yeah, you got It was the OOs you started getting great guys, like Michael Jai White. Anything he's in, I'll watch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, Black Dynamite? Come on. <laughs> Black Dynamite, Blood and Bone. God, if you haven't seen Blood and Bone, you need to see that, people. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. Black, Black Dynamite, Dynamite is... both in the series are just classic. Uh, so... Speaking of uh, sequels that are unnecessary, we were talking earlier about the Matrix trilogy. Yeah. And we were both of the opinion that if we only had two films to pick from, the original Matrix and the direct-to-video sequel and a Matrix, we would have been done with the whole Matrix series, and that would have been more than enough. Yeah. There was a couple the of stories Matrix. that were supposed to film for it, but they cut it out, and it really would have enhanced the fucking movie. Right? If you remember, there was one of the stories was supposed to be how Agent Smith got free from the Matrix after what Neo did to him. Right. Which have led to the scene of him giving that uh, earplug to the guy in the, in the Matrix Returns. Yep. It was really supposed to be just all set up for the second field so we wouldn't be as confused as we were while watching the movie. <laughs> right? Yeah. It was, uh... Yeah, it was just, uh... I mean, I don't know. I've I've had this conversation with my friend Joe several times over the over the years because he was the one who turned me on to the Matrix. You know, I saw the previews for it on TV back when, you know, when when it first came out and I was like, "Uh, Keanu Reeves, whatever, Bill and Ted, haha, I don't care." But my friend Joe went to see it in the theater, and then he came back 
to my house a couple days later and we were hanging out and he was like, dude, you got to see this movie, the matrix. And I was like, okay. And he's like, dude, I liked it so much. I will come back and watch it with you again. So we went to the theater. So we watched it. I thoroughly enjoyed the first matrix movie. I still do. But his thing about the matrix is when they started making sequels, his battle cry was, why did they need sequels? They had a guy who could fly at the end of the first one. They don't need to make any more sequels. He can fly. He knows he's got all the powers. And they depowered him in the second film for no fucking reason. Right? So the Animatrix really was, it was, that should have been the sequel. I mean, it had great animation. Like you said, there were lots of stories that, Although they did lead into the second and third movies, we didn't need them. The, they they ended, you know, they ended everything, you know. Uh, that that could have been the end of it, and it would have been it would have been a better send off for the characters. It would have been a better just you know period at the end of the. Yeah. At the end of the series, you know, we I'm didn't need enough. I'm about this Matrix Four that's coming out that says we're going to rewrite the whole movie. I'm like, oh shit. Yeah, I've seen stuff about it online. I don't, I don't care. I won't watch another Matrix movie. I've, I've had enough Matrix to last me for the rest of my life. I have the first Matrix on Blu-ray, and that's the only Matrix movie. Uh, I'm one of those people, and uh, my cousin Jahan and I talk about this sometimes, and we're just like, how many Matrix movies are there? Uh, just one. Just one. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. speaking of Kenny Reeves, I love the John Wick films, and there was this one part in three that I was giddy, giddy like a little kid when, it, when I seen who was in it and watched him in it. And that is someone that is lost who is just a big badass in the 90s. And that is the one and I, only Mark Dacascus. Yep. <laughs> right? Have you seen Drive by Him with Mark Dacascus? Yep. That may yep. be one of the top three, if not the best, direct, made-for-video action films of the 90s. He is so fucking good in that. Right? Just, if you love them in John Wick 3, you need to see it. And for the record, John, uh, Mark was the guy who was the giddy fanboy of John Wick, and he was just so good in that, too, wasn't he? <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm yeah, just so he... glad to meet you. I'm just, it's so exciting when you meet your heroes. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, and oh, yeah. talking talking about Drive, uh, man, that movie has some crazy stunts and fights in it. Like, you know, but yeah, again, straight to video. But yeah, if you haven't seen it, you should definitely watch it. Uh, <laughs> I I can't even really describe the plot. What is he like? He's a cyborg, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, he's a cyborg, and he forces a guy to drive him, take him on a road trip, and then they're on the run from hillbillies, I, I think. Yeah. <laughs> In that, a way, you could say that that movie, the movie Collateral with Michael Mann, Rip drives the freak off. Right. Except there's no. I don't want to say it again. Is this offensive to people who live down south? Is hillbilly an offensive term? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. And one that but never yeah. did get released over here, and it breaks my heart. And it's got, and the release is so bleak over here that even when I have Brian Usner on there, I'm like, I'm sorry, I've seen it on bootleg. And he's like, who gives a shit? As long as you see it, the damn producers are going to be holding this on up forever. And that will be Crying Freeman. Yep. Look that one up on YouTube. It is good, and he is good in it. Can you watch the whole movie on, on YouTube? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've seen it before, but... Um... Yeah, I mean, I was always a big fan of uh, everything that Christoph Gans did anyway, so I mean, not necessarily everything, but Brotherhood of the Wolf was a really cool flick, so. Especially if you can track down the long cut of it. Right. And That's my first scene, Mark, is he, that scene where he was the Indian and he just just totally whooped ass on those five guys. Right. Hmm. Well, we're climbing towards the <clears throat> towards the end of the show. Yeah, so uh, we barely uh, scratched the surface. Now that VOD and stuff, we're starting to see more action horror films getting released to. Uh, DTV and streaming and the quality it seems like it's going up yeah yeah and I think a lot of that has to do with you know again with the coronavirus I think a lot of these films were intended to at least have a limited theatrical release but there's just no there's no place to show them Um, but you know, it, it, except on a streaming service. But I can say the one thing about that that I am enjoying, as much as I like to go to the movies, what's really fun, I don't know about down there, but up here in Maine, we have a lot of drive-in theaters that have been shut down for years and oh, years God, and yeah. years. And now they're starting to open up again because that's the safest way for people to congregate and watch a movie. So Yeah, and Grindhouse Entertainment is road showing uh, a double feature of Evil Dead in Pieces. Yep, I saw that. I saw that online. I'd love if you're looking for that. a fun way to spend a Saturday night with your friends... You're not going to get much more fun than Evil Dead in Pieces. Pieces. It's just what you think it is. Yeah. 
that's that's one of my favorite. There's trailers. nothing greater in this world than smoking dope and fucking in a waterbed. <laughs> oh man! And of course, number one. Dun, 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 dun. Sorry, bad chop suey. <laughs> Uh, so, I don't know. And one of the other. What? What did you say? What did you gonna say? Go. Oh. Oh, I was gonna say one of the other movies that I had mentioned uh, when we were talking earlier that uh, I thought would be fun to talk about for a few minutes. Direct to video was uh, Curse of Chucky, because I feel like the child's play. Even though all of the child's play films have been written and produced by, you know, the same team, I feel like they've, after the first one, they've, in, they've gone down increasingly in quality. Hey, they, hey, hey, I like the only ones. Yeah, well, I'm not saying I don't like them. I'm just saying they've, they've lacked the quality of the first film. And the remake... John Waters also, taking dirty pictures of a Chucky jacking off. No. That's a rise <laughs> in quality. <laughs> but I did like... I did the Curse of Chucky. I thought that one, even though that was a direct-to-video, I did... I, I don't know. I thought that one kind of brought back the spirit of the, uh, of the original. Uh, it did get a theatrical release in some uh, some countries. I think Brazil was one of the countries where you could yeah. see it in the theater, but it didn't get an American release. But uh, I had was I, is it wasn't a Chucky film. It was just more of another haunted doll film. It didn't have nothing Chucky-ish in it. Well. It could have been another one of those things like we were talking about with the Hellraiser films where it probably wasn't initially a child's play movie. They just uh yeah. they just stuck in it. So but I don't know. And I the thought remake it was a wasn't good... that bad. I was shocked. I was expecting dog poop and I got eh. I don't know. I liked the remake okay. The only thing that I didn't like about it was I didn't like the design of the of of Chucky. I didn't like the way Chucky looked in it. It it was it was distracting to me. So I don't know. I didn't enjoy it. Like I I, I enjoyed the movie, but I just didn't like the way Chucky looked. And to wrap things up, this Sunday we're dealing me and Fred are going to be watching what most people we call the second most dangerous, controversial film to come out of the 80s in that wild period, and that will be the one and only Cannibal Holocaust. Really? <laughs> Cannibal Holocaust, the, the only movie that, well, I shouldn't say probably the only movie, but Definitely a movie where a man was put on trial for supposedly murdering people in real life. Yeah. And nearly got his head bashed in with a log. Right. Well, it's funny 
you go back earlier in the show, we were talking about Solo, and there is there is a lot of conflicting information about how Pierre uh, Pasolini died. Uh, some people say he was accidentally run over by a car. Some people say that he was beaten to death after leaving the premiere of Solo because people were so disturbed by it. So... Well, the boy who did it was in jail for it said that he didn't. He wouldn't say who. He said someone hired him to beat him to death. Right. So I don't know. What's that movie? Who it's killed Pasolini, folks? Is a good watch. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's interesting to see. Like, but I mean, we're talking about. I mean, another country 30 years ago, so who knows how much, you know, who knows how much is true. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I mean, now And with that, thanks for another good episode, and... Yeah, we'll, we'll catch up next Wednesday with something new to talk about. Yeah. And good night, everybody. Thanks for tuning in.